Krishna, sorry for that little delay. Uh, today in America is Mother's Day, Sunday, May 12th, 2019. And so I was requested to say a few words on this. Um, there are many things that are always said on, the, on these days, and they're true, such as the, um, the special love of mothers, the uh, invaluable role that mothers play in the life of societies, of civilization itself. And um, so all these things are very true, and that's why they are cliches. Often cliches are cliches because everyone can see that something is true and so everyone says it and that's the case here so thank you all who are tuning in to watch Hare Krishna so I thought today rather than rather than say what is true and importantly true but it's something we always hear I, I asked myself what could I say about Mother's Day, which we don't often talk about, which perhaps might um, provide to those who are listening a new angle or a new perspective, something a little different that might somehow add to, to our knowledge, all of us. So I thought about this and um, I, I thought I would approach approach Mother's Day from this, this angle in terms of trying to understand the uh, unique challenges, spiritual challenges and unique spiritual opportunities that mothers have in Krishna consciousness. So it is often said, <coughs> certainly in the Hare Krishna movement, <coughs> sorry, sorry for coughing, it's, um, <laughs> but it happens. Um, it is often said, both inside and outside the Hare Krishna movement, that the, in this world, the purest love is a mother's love. And so, one question is, what does that actually mean? And what, what does it mean in general, and what does it mean for the spiritual life of loving mothers? So, as far as I understand what is meant when people say, as they often do, that the purest love in this world is a mother's love, is that it's a um, an, an unconditional love that in all circumstances, no matter how the mother is treated by a child, the mother continues to love the child. And so the love is, is not only to a great extent unconditional, uh, I don't wanna say absolutely because you know, we're in the material world, but to a great extent, unconditional. And also, it's a love which, uh, in a sense, dominates the life of a mother. Or perhaps that's too strong a word. It, it, it's a love which is very central in the life of the mother. It's a, it's a first consideration, a first priority, something that has to be done, even if other things cannot be done. <clears throat> so... All that is, <clears throat> I would say, well-known and should be, we should remind ourselves of this, especially on, on a day like today. <clears throat> so the challenge, though, that I was thinking of, that in a sense, because a mother's love is so great, 
the question is, uh, or, or the topic is, it is not always easy <clears throat> to um, integrate or to combine that very powerful mother's love with Krishna consciousness, which after all teaches detachment. <clears throat> and a mother's love is powerful because, because the mother is the mother. However, <clears throat> that role as mother <clears throat> is also uh, an emotion that comes from a bodily relationship. Uh, it's a physical fact that this person is the mother of that person. That is a, you could say, physiological fact. And so <clears throat> obviously the mother is thinking, this is my child. And yet in a higher sense, uh, not really. In a higher sense, um, <clears throat> we are all eternal souls. Now, because in the early days of ISKCON, <clears throat> this, idea of detachment, this idea that no one is really anybody's mother, father, child, because we're all eternal souls, uh, that teaching was understood immaturely and led to immature behavior, which at times was destructive. <clears throat> at times, behavior that really damaged other people's lives or damaged the life of the person having that immature idea. <clears throat> and so because of all the harm, because of the damage caused by a, a fanatical or immature <clears throat> interpretation of that fact that we are not the body, we are eternal souls, I've noticed that in ISKCON now it's become, um, how should I put it, out of fashion. It's just... <clears throat> In, in many circles of devotees, it's simply considered inappropriate to preach this strong, ultimate philosophy that we are not the body, that ultimately all bod bodily relationships are maya. And uh, <clears throat> it's considered to be something which is true in some ultimate higher sense, but because we are not so ultimate, we are not so advanced right now, <clears throat> talking a lot about those things that were not the body and therefore no one is anyone's mother or child uh, will do more harm than good. Whatever good is done by talking about that, probably more harm will be done because it will encourage people to act irresponsibly, <clears throat> dangerously in ways that, that endanger their own children, in ways that endanger perhaps the mother of their children, or the father, if it's the mother who has this immature view. And so therefore, <clears throat> it's something which is true, but it's best not to talk about very much. And so what I am interested in here in this little talk is, is there a mature way to talk about these things? I mean, there must be, because after all, it is our philosophy. So that's my goal here in this little talk on Mother's Day is what would a mature discussion of our ultimate spiritual identities, what would that look like in relation to how we see a mother and her children in Krishna consciousness? 
<clears throat> so I did not actually, I have to admit, uh, prepare this talk. Um, and so I, I, I'm thinking now, as, as I'm speaking, and I'm, you know, I feel that Krishna will give me something to say. So I'll start with this. Um, in order for any preaching or any teaching to be, let's say, desirable, it must do more good than harm. So that gives us one criteria. In fact, it's probably do a lot more good than harm. If something, if something causes roughly the same amount of good and harm, it's maybe better just to figure out some other way to bring about the good and, and, and not do it. <clears throat> so in that sense, how can we talk about these things motherhood, fatherhood, <clears throat> family life. How can we talk about these things in a way that does significantly more good than harm, or perhaps does not do any harm, <clears throat> at least does not cause harm among reasonable people? <clears throat> As we know, um, in this world, you could say today is Sunday, and someone will misinterpret what you said in some horrible way. So you could say good morning to someone and be, be accused of some crime. So <clears throat> we live in a, a crazy world in which there's a lot of hypersensitivity and what some people call the victim Olympics. And uh, so, so I think it would be an unreasonable criteria to say <clears throat> that in order for preaching, say strong preaching about we're not the body, that ultimately bodily relationships are in some ways illusory, not eternal. <clears throat> what we're looking for is some way to talk about that in a way that does not cause significant harm to reasonable people. We cannot be responsible for crazy people, unreasonable people. It's just, I can't figure out how in the world I could ever be responsible for those crazy people. <clears throat> Maybe, for example, if I provoke them unnecessarily, like, for example, it's an offense against chanting to preach the glories of the Lord to the faithless. So if I go out of my way to preach to people who obviously are not uh, interested <clears throat> in following what I'm saying, then you know, that may be my fault. But let's say as in, in this instance right here, I'm giving a general class. I'm speaking on Facebook, actually. I'm speaking on Facebook <clears throat> and to a general audience, I don't really know everyone that's listening or <clears throat> I, I kind of get a list here to the right of my screen saying who's listening now and thank you all for listening. But at the same time, many, many, probably even greater numbers of people, much greater numbers of people listen afterwards. And so I can't, I have no way of controlling who's going to listen to this. And therefore, my concern is to try to explain how can we, how can we teach the, the very strong parts of our philosophy, strong in regard to bodily identification and all that, how can we teach that in a way that does not cause significant harm to reasonable people? It doesn't discourage them. <clears throat> it doesn't lead them to act against their own rational self-interest. Uh, doesn't confuse them. <clears throat> so I think to do that kind of preaching, um, we have to have a good grasp 
of what is really possible in this world. It is a fact that we're not the body, and yet it's also a fact that most of us, most people, still have bodily attachment. Even some people have a lot of bodily attachment, and yet they're trying to free themselves or trying to be Krishna conscious. But as Krishna explains in the Gita, as long as we do have this attachment, we have to accept activities in the world that engage our uh, material propensities and purify those propensities so that by performing those activities, we come back to Krishna. Uh, the obvious example is eating tasty prasadam. Obviously, being attached to eating tasty food is a bodily attachment. And yet, if we eat prasadam, and if we're very conscious it's prasadam, and we offer it to Krishna, and we eat it with that consciousness that this is Krishna's mercy, then we become purified. So the danger of fanatical preaching about we're not this body, no one is really anybody's mother or child in the material world, preaching, at what point does it become fanatical? I mean, what line do you cross when that kind of preaching becomes fanatical preaching? <clears throat> it seems to me that a preacher or a teacher has crossed the line when uh, they're teaching discourages people, devotees or others, discourages people from doing what is their real duty. The purpose of a teacher or preacher is to encourage people to do their duty, not to discourage them. And so if someone has a material body, let's say a female body, because in most cases they become the mothers. So if someone in this life as a female body and is one of, I would say, a strong majority of women, not all women, but a strong majority who would like to have a child or a few children, <clears throat> then uh, Krishna himself says in the Bhagavad Gita, Navudhi Bhedam Janayet, this is in chapter three, Agyanam Karma Sangina, that don't bewilder people, don't confuse people who still have some attachment to the body by discouraging them from doing their duty. So if a teacher is mature, a preacher, and understands that this person is a sincere soul and uh, is trying their best to be Krishna conscious, but like everyone else, this person still has some bodily attachment, and therefore uh, this individual is engaged in activities that satisfy you could say material propensities, uh, to a reasonable degree. In other words, this person is not exploiting our philosophy to just engage in shameless sense gratification. This devotee is sincere. <clears throat> say a woman, this, this woman is Vaishnavi, is sincere. She's doing her best. She's really trying to be Krishna conscious. But at this point in her evolution, um, she has some attachments, as we all do, and specifically some attachment remaining uh, toward children. Now, it's not only attachment, because a Krishna conscious mother, even one that still has some attachment, also has many Krishna conscious attitudes toward her children. For example, I want them to be devotees. I want them to be 
happy in Krishna consciousness or and so on and so forth. I want them to somehow do something useful for Prabhupada. So we're not talking about materialists here. We're talking about people who have spiritual knowledge, who have sincere desires that their children become Krishna conscious. So we're talking about, let's say in this case, women who are in many very important ways spiritual and Krishna conscious. And so if a preacher makes such a Vaishnavi, such a person, feel uh, discourages that person to do their duty, and, and as long as we have any bodily attachment, it is our duty to engage that attachment in a Krishna conscious service, such as raising a child for Krishna. And so if the preaching discourages that, say, Vaishnavi from doing her duty in Krishna consciousness, from following Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita and adopting a moderate position, just like we don't eat too much or too little, we don't sleep too much or too little, hopefully, uh, as Krishna teaches. So one should not be overly attached to children. I mean, as we know, it can become a little sick, even from the point of view of material psychology, one can become, a mother can become so attached to her children that it really becomes an emotional disorder. So either from the viewpoint of Krishna consciousness or the viewpoint of just worldly psychology, uh, there is such a thing as being too attached to one's children. That's a real thing in the world. On the other hand, one cannot be concerned enough about one's children. One cannot feel enough love. If someone, if a mother has a child and simply can't really love her child very much or just doesn't care that much about her child, that's a, an emotional disorder on the other side. So what we're talking about is what Krishna calls yukta. When he says yukta hara biharasya, one should be moderate. Prabhupada translates this moderate or balanced. So the same thing for mothers. There is a healthy amount of, um, or a necessary, perhaps we could say, a necessary amount of what we can call attachment, attachment to one's child. And that, you could say, prescribed amount is necessary, first of all, so that the mother can work through that attachment in Krishna consciousness. Now, if a mother happens to be a Paramahamsa, she's really a pure devotee, she doesn't have any material attachment to her children, but at following Krishna, she does her duty, she, she loves her children as spirit souls, uh, there's probably not a lot of those people around. I mean, I'm, there may be some, and there are not a lot of fathers like that who have absolutely no material attachment to their children, but who have just so much spiritual love for them. That's a very exalted position, and most of us are not really there. So a Vaishnavi mother who's a good devotee, again, she's a good devotee, she's sincere, and, and she loves her children in Krishna consciousness, but still has some attachment, then it is healthy for that mother to express that love, to take care of her children, and, and so on, and to artificially try to suppress her real feelings uh, will will definitely cause damage to herself. She will damage her own, not only her spiritual life, but her emotional life. And she will also damage her children. 
And so preaching, which is so fanatical or so heavy, that it discourages people from acting in healthy, balanced, Krishna-conscious ways, and instead encourages them to adopt, ex adopt extreme behavior, uh, which, uh, through which uh, the person damages himself and, and damages other people, even innocent children who are the most deserving of protection, not aggression. So any preaching which discourages mothers from doing their duties or encourages them to act in inappropriate ways, that preaching is fanatical and dangerous. Because after all, to use one's position in a spiritual society, and as we know in ISKCON and other such spiritual societies, uh, great attention is given to the guru or sannyasi and so on. And so um, to use this power over other people in a way that actually harms those people is uh it's a great offense in fact one time i was with Prabhupada. i've told the story many times i was with Prabhupada in new vrindavan in 1972 and we were sitting outside on the on the grass Prabhupada was taking a massage and two little kittens they were just tiny little kittens they were wrestling and they grabbed each other in such a way that they formed this like a ball it's really like a ball and then they um, they just rolled because the land where Prabhupada was sitting was slightly inclined. And these two kittens who, who were holding on to each other in like a perfect ball just sort of rolled right under Prabhupada's lap. And that was 1972 when we thought, ooh, animals are like, you know, they're contaminated. And, and, and if you touch them, it's like it's horrible. And the good old immature Hare Krishna movement. Anyway, so... When I saw these two kittens roll into Prabhupada's lap, I was kind of horrified, like, oh my God, these animals are touching the pure devotee. And then to my surprise, Prabhupada acted like a normal person. Yeah, he laughed and he, he started petting them. These, there's these little kittens, he actually started petting them. He acted like a normal person. So that was a good lesson I learned. But, but then Prabhupada looked up at us, I remember, because the two kittens, they, they had complete confidence in Prabhupada. They weren't, they just kept rolling around and playing in Prabhupada's lap with absolutely no sense of any danger from Prabhupada. And so Prabhupada looked at us and he, and he said to me, he said, just see, if I put my head in your lap and you cut my throat, that is the greatest offense. Because the kittens were completely trusting Prabhupada. And so he said, if I put my head in your lap and you cut my throat, that is the greatest offense. And so people trust spiritual leaders, gurus, and yasis. Not everyone, because, you know, some people have bad experiences. But <clears throat> there are gurus and sannyasis whom many people trust. And so by trusting what a spiritual leader says, it's like putting your head in their lap in the sense that you are giving them power over you by believing deeply what they are saying. And so if a preacher um, in that situation where a sincere soul is simply trusting them, if a preacher then speaks in such a way as to cause harm to that person, Prabhupada said it, it is the greatest sin. 
So we have to be very careful how we teach and preach. Um, so that's basically what I'm going to say today. Um, being a mother in Krishna consciousness is a unique challenge or being a father. It's a unique challenge because first of all, you have these innocent souls who are in, under your authority. Uh, and also, so it's not only a challenge to always do the right thing for those who depend on you, but it's also a challenge to love your children, which you must do. I mean, parents have to love their children, but to love them in a Krishna conscious way and not to get dragged away by mundane sentiments, which really don't help. So uh, to love your children, to be a great father or mother, but at the same time, cultivate a higher understanding that these people are actually spirit souls is um, to balance those two things requires maturity in Krishna consciousness. It requires uh, that we chant our rounds nicely so we can understand these things. Anyway, I'd like to thank everybody very much. Uh, I appreciate your watching. And I wish everybody a happy Mother's Day, even if you're not a mother. I'm personally not a mother in this life. but So happy Mother's Day and a special greeting and uh, special greeting and special gratitude to all the mothers out there. So Hare Krishna.